Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by our first edition of the Gold Dives. Yes, for those of you who are maybe not familiar with our off-season program, normally what we'd be doing right now is covering baseball and basketball, but unfortunately, both those sports are on hiatus. Everything's on hiatus. So, what we do in between, what we do in between those along while covering baseball and basketball, your Golden State Warriors, your San Francisco Giants. We also like to do what are known as the gold dives. And so the gold dives, if you're not familiar or if it's been a while and you want to refresh a course, our gold dive episodes are where we do deep dives into previous games, historical moments from our teams. And we've mostly been focused on the 49ers and this very first season, this very first episode is still focused on the 49ers. We'll be bringing in some Warriors and Giants games coming up this year. But right now, we are doing a gold dive on the San Francisco 49ers 2019 season. Oh yeah, the one that just passed. Reason being is, it was an epic season. And we decided that this season, out of all the seasons, deserved its own gold dive. A celebration. Even though it didn't end the way we wanted it to, we still believed it deserved to be um, celebrated, to be talked about in a positive light. We, in some ways, you know, no one expected us to have the turnaround that we did. And for, even though we weren't able to seal the deal, it was still an incredible season. And this episode is dedicated to the celebration of the 49ers 2019-2020 season. Now, Raymond, before we get started, why don't you let them know where can they find the gold cast? You can always like us on Facebook.com slash the Goldcast, and you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore Goldcast, and be sure to subscribe to us via Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Stitcher, all under the same glorious moniker of the Goldcast. Like, subscribe, and comment because we certainly want to get your feedback on this revisiting of what was mostly a very exciting and fun season to watch. Absolutely. Now, Raymond, if they want to talk to you directly, where can they find you? You can always find me in one of two places. On Twitter, I'm Ray Solis, at Ray Solis. And Instagram, I am at Ray Solis 1, the number one. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram under the same moniker. I am Rudy Third. I am Rudy Third. Uh, I am Rudy Three R D. All right, folks. Here we go. We're gonna get into it. Our first gold dive of the new off season. It is a celebration of the 49ers 2019 2019 season. We're gonna talk about how we're gonna break this down after the intro. But first, your professor of fanalism. He's in the building. The greatest fanalist in the game. He's here too. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Here we are. Boom. Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. Boom. All right. Raymond, the first edition of our three-part gold dive. This is a three-part gold dive. We already gave you a little brief breakdown in the intro, but let's break down what each episode is going to look like. So episode one, 
of the 49ers 2019 season, the gold dive, is going to be weeks one through eight. Episode two will be weeks nine through 17. And then episode three will be the, the our awards for the regular season, our recaps of the playoffs, and our awards for the playoffs. So it's going to be a lot. We're going through a huge, huge chunk of football right now. And we figure with everything going on in the world, this is the perfect time to do it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this gold dive because this one is going to be awesome. All right, Ray. So let's start. Let's go all the way back to week one. And before we even begin, I want to talk about how did you feel going into week one? We 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 ha- we famously had a episode where we did all of the odds for the season and the lost episode that never got to air. I can't remember what the complications were. We had some major issue with the volume. And I remember, I think I had the Niners at like six wins. <laughs> where did, and you had them, you had them, you were pretty close. You had them, I think, at how many games? Do you remember? I think I remember, but I want you to say it. I don't remember. 10 or 10 or 11. You had them at 11 wins. It was 11 wins. And you had them winning like seven straight at one point, which I thought was insane. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I guess, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was, I guess I was, I had the, I guess my optimism was accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it really was because even though you they did win seven straight, it wasn't you kind of had them winning seven. I think like after week four or five. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it was the exact. I didn't get the exact seven straight wins. You know, I thought maybe we would lose to Pittsburgh and uh, one of the Rams games. Yes, and uh, so you were feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, I I want to talk about how I felt first, and then I want to hear where you feel because I want to end on the positive. So I I was feeling like. We, we we hadn't really addressed the secondary, so I was very nervous about that. I was excited about Nick Bosa. Uh, I was very trepidatious about the health of Jimmy G and how quickly he was going to bounce back. And I just had an overall feeling that if we could just win six to eight games, I would be happy. But I felt like I had gone in the previous two seasons pretty confident, and this was the season that I was really kind of going, I am not going to overshoot it. And I'm pretty sure I had us at six wins. And I just thought I just thought that the Rams and the Seahawks were still a class above us. And I did believe that we were going to split, I believe, with both teams. I might have had – or I might have had it getting swept by the Hawks again. But um, that's where I was at initially with this with the Niners team. I just thought that there just were still a little bit too many holes. Jimmy G coming back from injury – I, I was at the most eight wins, but I was I was prepared for six because I didn't want to get my hopes up too high. Where were you at at the beginning of the season? Obviously, 11 wins. You were pretty confident. Well, I felt like even though the secondary, they were banking on players that I had not did not have a lot of faith in, like Jimmy Ward, who ends up having a terrific season. And Jaquaski Tart was kind of a wild card because he was he was younger. And, you know, meaning but he was younger, but he still but he was also showing some injury prone habits, but he was not to the same, you know, consistent degree that Jimmy Ward was. So there was a little holes there. I didn't know what we were going to get as Sherman because he had had a decent year the year before, but mm-hmm. some of those stats were slightly muddled because 
people were targeting the other side because why even bother with Richard, with Richard Sherman's side when the other side is completely, you know, it's it's so vulnerable that, you know, you'd be an idiot not to target the other the opposite side of Sherman. Yeah, you fe- I remember you mentioned this a couple of times. You felt like Sherman's stats were a little juked the prior year. They were. I mean, they were good. They were good. You know, they weren't completely, you know, it wasn't a, an, an entire like they weren't completely blemished by by this this fact, but it was very real and very apparent. I've I vaguely remember like one or two teams even admitting to this, but they're like, you know, what's the point in even targeting Sherman's side when the other side is giving up, you know, so many plays every single game which was true we had given up tons of big passing plays the year before we were you know bottom half of the league in pass defense you know we you you go from you know the the back end of the league to the number to the best pass defense in the league that's you know hard transition usually teams you know uh, from 31st to first it was we weren't we weren't the 31st ranked defense in 2018 I don't believe but we were certainly in the twenties, bottom ten. Yeah, I, believe. I think we were hovering. I think we were hovering around twenty four, twenty six, somewhere in there. Yeah. So going from you know bottom ten or bottom five to number one was not something that I had envisioned. I was hoping that maybe a decent pass rush would help mitigate some of the flaws on the back end. But what I didn't expect was for both ends to play exceptional the throughout the entire season which is what we got even though you know a secondary success is most of the time or i guess you could argue all the time is predicated on the success of the pass rush because you the the more time the the longer a play lingers in terms of uh, the quarterback's time in the pocket then the the less favorable the matchup is for the secondary because you don't know where the receiver's going initially. Maybe maybe you have a read on it in the first. Maybe you understand the formation, so you have an inkling on like it's, it can either be one of these two routes or one of these three routes or something like that. But after a play a play breaks down, and there's still no pass rush, the the wide receivers are pretty much improvising at that point. And that becomes even more cumbersome for a defensive back to try to read and anticipate. It's just really, really difficult. So the longer that play, a passing play goes on in terms of trying to find a receiver and not being able to get to the quarterback via the pass rush, then the secondary is just going to have a really difficult time. So I just thought that maybe if we had a decent secondary, they'd be able to help offset some of that. But that ended, what it, what did end up happening is that both sides just played great, and the middle played great. The linebackers were terrific, the secondary was terrific, and the pass rush was obviously the best part of the defense. But obviously, that's what you want. You know, that's that's if if you want to sacrifice one of your levels, one, two, and three. You know, like if you had, if in other words, if you only had a choice on which level you would want to be exceptional, I would always take pass rush every single time 10 times out of 10 so the fact that we were even able to get what we ended up getting out of it was far above and beyond my expectations and pretty sure above the expectations of a lot of people with the exception of maybe a few kind of wild cards that just kind of had more ambitious expectations than even I did because I know there was a couple people out there I can't remember them but I know that some people had some 
pretty high expectations for the Niners. I just can't remember which pundits they were. But I know that I wasn't the only person that was kind of riding a more a higher horse for what we were going to see out of the Niners than than a lot of other people. I think a lot of other people were cautiously optimistic. I think cautiously optimistic is the uh, is the right is the right word. Yeah, I think cautiously optimistic is definitely the right word. All right, so with that, let's begin the season. So before the 49ers, before the season began, the 2019 season, the 49ers Super Bowl odds, they were 36 to 1. That's eight. They were at the 18th spot. The top five teams to win the Super Bowl. This is all to win the Super Bowl. Patriots at 7 to 1, Chiefs at 8 to 1, Saints 9 to 1. Rams 11 to 1, Eagles 14 to 1. So pretty much from the beginning Vegas Vegas had the Patriots and the Chiefs sitting there at the top uh of the of the heap and they really and they had a lot of NFC teams followed by that. The Saints uh the Saints, the Rams and the Eagles were pretty much the top 3 seeds that the the Vegas believed had the best odds of winning the Super Bowl, and the Niners are sitting there all the way down at the 18th spot at 36 to one. Week one opens. We're on the road. We spend most of the first half of this season on the road. This is the uh, we are at Tampa Bay Niners versus Bucks. Uh, the Vegas odds had San Francisco winning by minus one. Uh, the Niners were pretty slow to start. But already, even from game one, you're starting to see signs from Bosa. And, you know, Bosa basically sat out, Raymond, if you remember, for most of preseason. Uh, lots of uh, lots of pressure on Winston. And he finally gets his first sack in the third. You also see Richard Sherman showing signs of the brilliant season was about to come. He gets a pick six. Jimmy G is a little wobbly. Also in the third quarter. Also in the third, yep. Jimmy G is a little wobbly here, but better than I remember. He looked better than I remembered him in this game. Um, of course, he throws that pick six pretty early too. He does. What are your thoughts early on? What are, what are your thoughts early on in this game? You know, this was a game I thought we could win, just. But I also thought that we might even might lose this game. I thought this was a fifty-fifty, just because this was. I mean, Vegas SF SF minus one. That's not a lot. This, that's just yeah, one point. Well, this, they weren't sure either. Exactly, and this is like one of the best passing offenses in the league the previous year, and in sure enough lived up to the same expectations this year while also giving the ball to a lot of cornerbacks at the same time. But the, uh, this game, I thought as it went on and the ball was giving up, I thought the third quarter was obviously our best quarter. We had the pick six by Richard Sherman, Jimmy G threw the touchdown to Richie James. That was a nice throw, the big bomb down the left side, just a straight up, you know, post route, just go, a go route or a post route, one of the two. I don't know. We'll have to ask Johnny Dells to clarify that for us. <laughs> you know, Mostert looked very much like the Mostert we have seen in the playoffs. Just very elusive, terrific vision out of the hole. I think he has the best vision out of all the running backs. And obviously he got stronger and stronger as the season went on and he got more touches. But I could also see that style in him early in this game as well. That was one thing that stuck out to me. Oh, also Debo Samuel, his first play was a fumble, which was at the end of the second quarter in this game. And good call. That's right. George Kittle had uh, two touchdowns called back in this game. The, uh, 
This was a gr- this was this would become a growing trend for the first several games yeah. of the season. Yeah, is K- Kittle losing touchdowns weeks at, week after yeah, week? Yeah, and this was act the the very first touchdown score of the season for the 49ers was called back on a flag. That was the other thing about this game: lots of penalties. Oh yeah. my God! The, the Niners have penalties left and right. Actually, you know what? Let's do this too. While we're not t- twenty-one points, twenty-one points uh, off penalties. Uh, twenty-one points negated off of penalties. Moster had a, had a touchdown called back for a penalty, and Kittle had two. So actually, let's do this, Raymond. Too while we we, we don't get too far into this, um, I wanted to actually start with this. Let's talk about all the starters. So here, here's here's the starting lineups for for the 49ers on offense on defense. So on offense, you got Jimmy G. Obviously, a quarterback, Kyle Juszczyk, Tevin Coleman at running back and fullback, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin at wide receiver, George Kittle at tight end, uh, Michael Person, O-line, Mike McGlinchey, tackle, Joe Staley, tackle, Lakeland Tomlinson, guard, Western Richburg, center. So there you go. On defense, we've got D. Ford, Eric Armstead, D. Ford, a defensive end, Eric Armstead, defensive end, DeForest Buckner, defensive end. DJ Jones, defensive tackle, linebacker, Drain Greenlaw, Quan Alexander, linebacker, Fred Warner, linebacker, Akello Witherspoon, defensive back, Yaquiski Tart, defensive back, Tavius Moore, uh, Tavarius Moore, defensive back, and Richard Sherman, defensive back. So there you go. That is our first game one lineup. But yeah, going back to this sloppy play. From the Niners. I mean, the penalties were just left and right all over the place. Now, this is something that would get cleaned up as we went through the season. But you can see that September rust all over this team. And a team that is still, despite playing actually pretty well, still finding a lot of its footing um, in this game. We had a total of 80, 11 penalties, 87 yards. 87 yards on 11 penalties. That is That is intense. Yeah. The Tampa Bay had the same amount of yards, but uh, that was with uh, eight penalties. So they had less penalties, but some of their penalties were obviously more severe because they ended up accumulating the same amount of yardage, negative yardage that we would. And uh, I also thought it was interesting that the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially in the second half, were outgaining us on the ground. Uh, they we would finish. Th- they would finish the game with 121 rushing yards compared to our 98. We couldn't even amass 100 yards in this first game, and I think uh, those those penalties really just kind of took the gas and the wind or the wind out of the sails or the gas out of the car on any momentum that we tried to establish for a lot of these plays. You know, remember Raheem Mostert had a huge callback. For that touchdown that touchdown was at least I believe it was 20 plus yards that that ended up getting called back and that was in the uh late in the second quarter so um you know that we would have had well over 100 yards if you you know take away a lot of these penalties out of this game and you would have had 21 more points um on top of the the 31 that we uh, put up on Tampa and Tampa had I believe one one penalty that negated a touchdown as well, too. I'm not sure if they had more than that because I honestly wasn't paying attention to them as much. And you know what? In the fourth quarter, I thought it looked like the Niners were going to let the game slip away again. At that point, where you're looking at 20 to 14, and I'm starting to think, are are the Niners going to let this go? But they really clamped down, and again, a lot of foreshadowing to the rest of the season. They only have six points 
in the first half, but then have 14 points in the third quarter alone and then another 11 points in the fourth quarter to amass a total of 31 points. Final score, 31 to 17. And you already can see, even in the beginning of this first game, those second half adjustments become really important with this team and something that we will kind of see be repeated over and over and over again. Totally. And, you know, in the end, they only got a field goal and the Niners put up 11 more points in that fourth quarter. And Jameis Winston would uh, contract the infamous interception disease that would plague him throughout the remainder of the season. He threw, I believe, two pick sixes in this game. I think he threw... Yeah, one to Keller Witherspoon and the other to Richard Sherman. Yeah, and he would throw, uh, what you call it? He would, he would throw three overall. Two of them went back for scores. So, th- would you say that is the so? We, so we're gonna have a couple things here, ladies and gentlemen, for the Goldcast audience. We're gonna talk about our inception moment, and this is the these are just the waves that each one of these games made. The 49ers, as we go through the season, they make a lot of waves, and there's a lot of ramifications to how well this team did that were felt throughout it. And then, of course, the second one we're going to talk about is our dagger moment. So would you say this was the beginning of the inception moment? This is the this is the moment that the, uh, the foreshadowing of Jameis Winston's intense uh intense interception the interception touchdown ratio would begin oh yes this was this was the worst case of interception disease i've ever seen in a player and Jameis winston yeah i would say this was i mean two pick sixes that wasn't the only picks pick sixes he would go on the throw on for the season but he had two big ones in this game and one of those pick sixes was definitely the dagger Yes, and I would. I, I think we agree. Akilah Witherspoon's pick six was the dagger. That was the end of this game and the end of the Bucks for Week One. Yeah, totally. And that that was a twenty-five yard reception. He was getting pressured out of the pocket and just threw to no man's land, as the color commentator put it. And sure enough, uh, Akilah Witherspoon was sitting in the zone, read it perfectly, and took advantage of Jameis Winston's horrible malady that uh, cost him the starting quarterback position. Little did we realize that uh, TB12 would be coming to Tampa in the (laughs) offseason. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Moving on to week two. So week two, 49ers are still on the road. Now we go to Cincinnati. Cincinnati 0-1. We are 1-0. Vegas had Cincinnati at minus one. So they believed that the Niners couldn't pull off two road games in a row. Let's go for our starting our starting lineups here, Raymond. So our starting lineups for week two. You've got Jimmy G, Kyle Juszczyk, Matt Breida, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, George Kittle, Michael Person, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey, Lakeland Thompson, Western Richburg. That is our offense. Moving down over to our defense, we've got DeForest Buckner, D. Ford, Eric Armstead, DJ Jones, Quan Alexander, Fred Warner, Akilah Witherspoon, Tavarius Moore, Richard Sherman, Kawan Williams, Jakiski Tart. Good, nice lineup. So let's start talking about this game. The Niners, I, I was pretty confident we could beat Cincinnati. I was like, this team is garbage. They're garbage. We can definitely beat this team. We can we can take this. How did you feel going into week two? 
Well, I was riding high on the momentum we'd set in the first game, and I felt like Bengals are trash. This was a game I definitely picked us to win overall. And, you know, we'll get to the Bengals' inception moment, but uh, this was uh, this was a game I felt pretty good about. And I know there was the bonehead pick by Jimmy in the beginning, but the Niners put up, you know, 21 points in the first half. Or, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 21 points in, in, in the first half. Or 24 points, I think, if you count the, 24 you count points, the field yeah. goal. But, uh, but, yeah, they came out and, you know, served the Bengals pretty hard in the first half. Jimmy was overall great. He threw for nearly 300 yards, you know, threw three touchdown passes. He did have the one bonehead pick that I mentioned. But that was kind of the... That was kind of the big, the one big mishap on his end. Outside of that, you know, the Niners, this was really a Niners pure offensive game from on both sides. You know, not only did they amass, you know, nearly 300 yards of passing offense, but they amassed nearly, I think they had 259 rushing yards in this one too. So 291 yards which is almost all of their passing yardage, that was all done in the first half. So 291, almost equivalent to their passing yards is what I meant. 291 yards of their off of their total offense was a mass in the first half alone. So they were running rough shot early on in this game. So this one, this one I felt was, you know, a lot of, to me, it seemed like it was over early on, about, about halftime. I was feeling pretty good about it. I don't know how you felt, but it was, I mean, what it was it, 24 to 10 at that point? <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember correctly, during the season, during last season, I was talking about during preseason, if Jimmy G could get his feet underneath him, I said predicted somewhere around seasons or games five and six, five and six, seven and eight, somewhere in there he could get his feet really underneath him. Then, you know, this, this, we, we have a chance at at least making a, a, a run. And Jimmy G... I thought showed up early. Now, these are the games that everyone seems to forget about. He's 17 of 25, 296 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, sure, you got one interception, but 17 of 25, 296 with three touchdowns? I don't understand the problem. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's week two. That's a good fantasy That's stats. week two. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, over, overall, you see a lot of ball distribution early on, even from Kyle Shanahan here, Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., everyone getting the ball. And you see that Debo Samuels, they're including him early on. They're including him early on. And, you know, he's a little up and down. You know, he's a little up and down. Sometimes sometimes he drops a couple passes that he should have caught. And uh, sometimes Jimmy doesn't, doesn't, Jimmy doesn't always put it in the right spot for him. And the other thing I was surprised about is Dante Pettis gets a little bit of action here, and you guys will see as we go on later in the season, he gets a he gets a lot of action in weeks four through eight or five through eight. Yeah, even he, he gets a lot the of ball action once in this game for sixteen yards. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets a lot of action, but it just uh, he doesn't. That's what I meant here. They throw him in a little bit here, but it doesn't. That's about as far as uh, his he goes through this one. This is um. The uh, let me see a couple other things I wanted to talk about here. I, the dump off pass to Mo- Mostert, I liked it because it's a sign of things to come. We're still sloppy with the penalties though. McGlinchey with that huge offsides um, that was followed by an interception from from Jimmy G. But just back to back kind of backbreaking stuff. The defense really does its job and really keeps us in these games, especially kind of despite the offenses. Um, 
lack of cohesiveness, especially in this first quarter of the season. You know, but the thing I did notice early on is that Jimmy G is spreading that ball a lot, a lot. Everyone kind of gets in on the on the passing game. Debo Samuel, Kyle Juszczyk, Marquise Goodwin, Kittle, Richie James, Kendrick Bourne. Everybody gets their hands on that ball, and that was nice to see. The what would you say, Raymond? We kind of joked about this offline. What would you say is the inception moment? What was the thing that Cincinnati realized after this game? Probably putting up the dud in the third quarter. They didn't score any points in the third quarter, and they probably would have gotten away, would have gotten shut out in all four quarters, except for that really bonehead John Ross play, that 66-yard touchdown with less than less than 60 seconds to go in regulation. That ended up garbage yeah, time. That ended up making the score, you know, seven, giving them 17 points as opposed, you know, up against our 41 burger that we had put on them. A forty burger. There's a there's a there is a forty burger. There's a fifty burger, and there's a forty burger, <laughs> and that's what happened here. I mean, we had ten rushing plays of ten or more yards. The rushing game, they just had no answer. They had no answer for the passing game. They had no answer for the rushing game. The Niners just steamrolled this team, and this team, this team would go on to. This is this is how confident the Bengals are. The Bengals were so confident in this season that they would go on to secure the first pick in the draft of this year. That's how that was. That was the mental commitment that this team made from the beginning, uh, from this week two, all the way until the end of the season. They would only go on to win two games after this. They would lose twelve more games after this. After this yeah. game, they would lose twelve more games, and uh, you know that's that's uh, that's commitment. That's uh, that's. <laughs> I know that the Niners went two and fourteen under Kyle Shanahan, but keep in mind that it was like five five games straight we lost by three points or less. You're not you're not trying to secure an early pick when you're competing that closely. Whereas the Bengals, you know, got their ass kicked most of the season. Absolutely. What would you say was the dagger moment for this game? Probably in the third quarter, the. Uh, the the Jeff Wilson or not the uh, the Debo Samuel score, the one that made it thirty one to ten. I was gonna say the Jeff Wilson Junior score right at like the start of the fourth, just to be like, here you're done. But either one, I think either one is good. That but you're so you're saying you're saying the Debo Samuel two yard pass from Jimmy G. I'm saying the Jeff Wilson Junior four yard rush from Jimmy G. Um, but either one is probably a royal ass whooping. Either way, either way. This, Raymond, this is the first time since 1989, the Super Bowl winning season, that the Niners opened with back-to-back road games and won them both, 2-0. and 2-0 and for the first time since 2013. How did you feel after this? I felt pretty happy. I wasn't sure if we could sustain it, but I was excited. I was pleased. I was very pleased. I mean, well, I was more than pleased. I was jazz. Who doesn't love a blowout? You know, you'd. I don't. Uh, I don't like the. I mean, in in retrospect, I enjoy the nerves and excitement of a close contest like the 2011 divisional playoff game between Alex Smith and Drew Brees. But in the midst of that, I am extremely uncomfortable with the nerves that my body goes through. You know, while watching that game and and not wanting us to fall short like that, that stuff, that's all super uncomfortable for me because I'm so into it and obviously very passionate about this team. And 
when they're in those tight positions of close contests, you know, it's nerve wracking. It's nerve wracking. You know, the, 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 the saints game, the, the one that we'll get to in a, in a, in another episode, that's, that was a nerve wracking game. So was the Ravens. That's a weeks off my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, but that wasn't the case in this game. This game was complete. Next week was a little nerve wracking week three. The next game we're going to get to is pretty nerve wracking, but this Bengals game was fun. You know, we've owned the Bengals. We owned them twice in the Super Bowl, and those were those were not those were good games too. You know, th- those were ex- excellent games that went down to the wire. Bengals did give us a run for our money, representing the AFC in both of those Super Bowl appearances. But you know, as far as uh, you know, the overall the overall score, you know, the Niners have got the Bengals number. I I I'm I've never run into any Bengals fans, but I know that. Cincinnati has to hate the Niners with a passion for those two 80s losses and plus this blowout win. That's just got to sting. I would imagine that Ohio fans in general, after dealing with us for for the NBA and for the Niners, I would be I wouldn't be surprised if if uh, if Cincinnati fans may anyone over the age of 35 probably hates our guts. I don't know if anyone under the uh, under the age of 35 even is cares it's it might be too old you know but maybe they hate they hate our guts by proxy we'd have to check the uh the uh the uh orange and black stripes cast to really know where the where they lie yeah the tiger cast as they call it the, the tiger cast the tiger king cast. right the, the tiger king cast exactly the tiger king cast all right uh, that absolutely that that's uh we'd have to check where that is so let's move on so now here we are, week three. And this was the game that people, for the first time, and we're going to hear this a lot in the next several, for the rest of the season. God, for the rest of the season, we're going to hear this. This was the first game that people said was going to be possibly a real test for the Niners. Even though the Steelers had not had that great of a start, they were 0-2 to go into this game. This was the first team that had we had played this season that had overall had had a pretty successful decade and was you know was a team that many expected to to go to the to the postseason Steelers at this point though not starting out the way they expected they are 0 and 2 49ers coming home to make their very first their their first home opener for the 2019 season the Vegas spread on this one Vegas was not a believer in in Pittsburgh either despite the analysts a lot of analysts picking them to to win this first game on the road and get their season going Vegas had San Francisco at six and a half favorites so Let's go to this one, Raymond. Let's start first with the 49ers starters. Pretty much pretty much the same lineup, but here's where we first start seeing some changes. Dante Pettis is put in over Debo Samuels as starting wide receiver. Uh, Justin School, School is put in at tackle. Those are the big changes there. Now, on defense... We've got all the same usual suspects. Well, we well we lost uh, we lost Joe Staley yeah. in the in the Bengals. Yes, team. and that's why that's why schools in there. And then uh, in defense here, it looks everyone is the same. We still have Akilah Witherspoon, but it's not much longer. This is a ticking time bomb for our boy Akilah Witherspoon right here. So, but but yes, that's the big changes. Marquise Goodwin in in place of our boy Debo, and then school. In place of Staley, that's the big difference on offense. So let's get this going. Let's start talking about this game. This was the game, Raymond, that started out and it felt 
a little trap gamey. Didn't it feel that way? Little trap gamey in the first half. A little. Niners really. Sl- a little bit. I don't know if I don't know if that was the, the phrase that was rolling around in my head, but I, you know, I thought this game was a game that we could possibly lose when we were doing early predictions, just because. Pittsburgh was a more talented team at the time that I made the prediction. I didn't anticipate that they would lose Ben Roethlisberger by this point, which they did. You know, Mason Rudolph was in there who had little to no experience. And obviously Antonio Brown had left the team at this point too. So it was just Juju Smith-Schuster carrying the reins as far as wide receiver potency went. And James Conner, who was actually a really good back, a really good dual threat back. But uh, he actually never really got going in this game for some reason. So uh, I don't know what it was, but San Francisco came with a really good rushing defense that surprised me and really stuffed James Conner. And perhaps perhaps it was because of, you know, them cleaning up some of the things that happened in the previous couple weeks. So I don't know. But either way, I know that uh, this game... God, this game was ugly. I mean, four turnovers in the first half alone. We would go on to give up five overall. It was six to three at halftime. We just had a, a field goal, uh, a three-point lead going into the halftime. And, and this is when Pittsburgh had made a desperate trade to get Minka Fitzpatrick from Miami, who had a really good game overall. He had a, a interception from Jimmy Garoppolo, and he also had that forced fumble uh, that, that he caused to from, uh, I think he knocked it out of Raheem Mostert. Uh, I could be wrong, but, uh, that, but there was a lot of things that happened in this game that really had me question whether we were going to come out on top or not. But, uh, the def- you mean that, that very first play when Jimmy, he tossed it to Brita and he bobbles the ball and then it gets intercepted. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's twofold, right? If it hits your hands, it's catchable, which means that Brita could have caught it at the same time. Jimmy underthrew the ball. And he threw it behind Brita, so he did force Brita to have to make and you know, uh, trying to catch the ball behind him, you know, basically stifling his momentum when Jimmy's supposed to throw the ball in front of him. Had he not, had Jimmy made a better throw, that wouldn't have been a pick. Had Brita not bobbled it, it also would have negated a pick. But I think because you know the play is predicated on an accurate throw, more is more dependent on that throw being where it should be than Brita having to make an off schedule catch. The, you know, I put the blame on Jimmy for that one. Yeah. Now, luckily, even after that goes down, though, Witherspoon making an immediate impact. Can we talk about the these first several games? These open this opening season for Witherspoon is so impressive. He is everywhere. He is just. He was ev- shut down his first three weeks. He was shut down straight up, straight up shut down the first three weeks. Yeah, you just could not get anything past him. Now, here's an interesting stat that they said during this game, that the Niners had averaged 179 rushing yards through the first three games, like up to this point. It was 179 yards. So even though the running game, like you had mentioned before, not quite where it's going to be, still extremely impressive. Now, obviously, a lot of that came from that second, that week two, because we couldn't even break 100 in that week one. But at this point, they're averaging about 179 yards through these first three games. Um, Niners, they go from the interception to the fumble. And again, I was sitting there, Really, the Niners have to punt. Then this is followed by another interception. This is this is the, the Niners have three turnovers in the first quarter, through the first quarter to the beginning of the second quarter. Three turnovers that lead to six points total from the Steelers. Niners only put up three points in that first half. Jimmy G, 
don't know if you remember the fourth turnover. Jimmy G fumbles under center. Do you remember that one? Yeah, yeah, and that was yeah. uh, that was and in I the thought- red zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really cost us. Steelers playing some really good defense against us, but in the second quarter or the third quarter, this is when the game would really turn around. And I would say the big, the the one of the big turnarounds. Even though we didn't score off this drive, this was the beginning of the momentum really starting to change. Was Quan Williams' huge interception uh, in, in the in the third quarter, right around the start of the third. You remember that? Yeah, he had an interception the previous week, too. And I think he was making up for getting tossed out early on in the Tampa Bay game, which was, you know, a, a coming home game, you know, playing against his former team the previous year. So uh, he was definitely on fire in these in these next two weeks. Mm-hmm. Then then we get we finally start to break this game open. 49ers get. Their first touchdown, Jeff Wilson Jr., which was his third touchdown of the season at this point. A lot of Jeff Wilson Jr. in the beginning of the of this season. And again, the thing I really like about Shanahan, his ability to mix things up. You know, you're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, he's kind of, he's got his favorites here in the first several weeks. And as injuries go and as, as, as players start to reveal themselves as, as being able to sustain and he's able to find more weapons and ways to use people, you'll see these things shift. But you see hints of guys like Mostert who are going to come up and end up being, you know, our our big heroes by the end of the season. But then you guys see, like, guys like Jeff Wilson Jr. making an immediate impact early on. And his presence is felt. Three touchdowns already. Three touchdowns, and it's only week three. You know, pretty, pretty good for him. Debo Samuels still struggling in week three, and you can see why Pettis got the start over him. He has another huge drop. Two weeks back-to-back in my notes. Yeah, totally. But, I mean, the defense uh, the defense really kept us in this one for mo- for the most part. I th- at one point, I believe uh, Jason Verrett came in, and I think that's because Akella Witherspoon went down. So Jason Verrett came in the game. And he would come in for two play two plays, and that would be the last time we would ever see Jason Fred again. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was which we kind of called. We everyone, no one was confident about him. Jeff Wilson ends up with two touchdowns on the game, and Dante Pettis get Pettis gets his first big touchdown of the year, and uh, that was. That the was dagger. Yeah, the dagger. Well, you know what else? I, you know what I thought the dagger was that was the arm Armstead causing that that huge fumble. Yeah, Armstead was huge in this game. Armstead would be huge throughout the entire season, uh, which would obviously end up leading to the offseason decision that we ended up getting this year, which was to keep Armstead and jettison Buckner. Unfortunate, but uh, but you know there there's a reason why, which we've already talked about there at is. length. Yep, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, Jimmy G to Pettis, that was a huge one. It was a minute and 15 left to go, and that pretty much put the game out of reach. And the defense in this game was really ridiculous. I think this game, not only was it the homecoming party for the 49ers, but it's the homecoming party for the defense. The defense has really established itself as uh, something you don't want to F with, my dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, really, really one down. Uh, Bosa in this game, uh, one, 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 uh, one solo tackle, one tackle for a loss, just, just fantastic. One QB hit, and uh, I know that's not that's not jumping out the page, but it sure is going to be, especially in the next game. So, following the final score on this game was twenty. 20- 
420 in favor of the 49ers. Actually, let me give you the scores for all the games. Uh, the final score for week two was 41-10 in favor of the Niners. And then, obviously, the final score of week one. 41-17. Yeah, 41-17. Yes, you're right, you're right, you're right. 41-17. And then the final score for the Bucks game, 31-17. All right, here we go. Week four, we get the bye. And how much bullshit was this that we get this bye at week four? I, You know what? I, I'm not going to skip it because I'm still annoyed by this. I'm still annoyed that we had a bye in week four, which means we had to go from week five all the way to week 17. And not if you remember, the Niners were damn tired. They were damn tired by the end of the season. And it's because of this stupid bye in week four, which I thought was an insult. I thought it was horrible. I don't know whether they were doing that because we were so injury-riddled the, the previous two seasons or – if it was just bad scheduling or a mixture of the two, it just didn't make any sense. Like no other team has a buy this early. So why are you doing this to us? Like every team, everyone knows that you get a buy between like week six and 10. That's usually the sweet spot for most teams near at or after the halfway point. That's usually when a team gets a break and usually t- and teams need a break around that point. It's actually really nice. The Niners did not get a break, which is why they were so damn gassed and why that first round buy became even more pivotal than than, than usual, just because the, the, the Niners team was desperate for it. You could tell in the way that they were playing down the stretch, and everyone was just really. I think everyone was clamoring for a break, and that 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 playoff buy came at a really opportune time for them. But yeah, this was a this was that was definitely irritating but this was uh it was still a what ended up happening in this game just ended up being fantastic and the Niners got off to a hot start right off in the first quarter the first play in their first drive so let's talk about the next game the next game is week 5 this is monday night football niners 40 the they they possibly have the chance if they win week five here against the 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 cleveland browns they have an opportunity here to win their 49th monday night football game the most wins by any team on monday night football why because we're the goddamn 49ers this is always our opportunity week five versus the browns yeah this sellout crowd too yes this was the next Big. This was this was considered by many the first big test. You guys are going to hear this many times throughout this uh, throughout this gold dive. Uh, this is the Bosa versus Mayfield game, Ray. This is the one. This is the best. This is Bosa at his fieriest. Vegas did not believe in Cleveland, despite many pundits saying that the 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 Cleveland Browns. This was the game where they were going to air it out, and this was the game that they were going to get back on track. Vegas was not a believer that not by a huge margin. They had San Francisco at four and a half favorites. So let's start talking about this game. The the only start the 49ers, same exact offensive start. No change there in our offense, in our defense. Everything is the same. Uh, uh, the only difference here we've got is uh, our boy uh, Tavarius Moore is out. Tavarius Moore and Emmanuel Mosley uh, gets his first start. And Emmanuel Mosley gets his first start. You got it. That's exactly right. So, right. Let's talk about this game. This game was pretty hyped. 
This was early in the season. The Cleveland Browns were the offseason darlings. Everyone thought after the way they ended the prior season and with their pickup of OBJ that this team was really, really finally going to make a run. People have wanted Cincinnati to make this run forever, and, and or Cleveland to make this run. And this was the moment where... Browns 2-2, two and two, Monday Night Football, our opportunity to have the most wins ever on the line. This had a lot of hype going into it. I was pretty hyped for this game. How did you feel? I was excited too, but I, I did not trust Cleveland at all. I, I did not trust this team. I'm pretty sure I had us at a win in our prediction episode, but... This team, just because I think Cleveland's Cleveland, this, you know, you, you have an unproven coach playing with, you know, some big name free agent acquisitions along with some younger guys. Uh, you know, Miles Garrett obviously was a standout on defense, but this team was still had a lot of unproven pieces and to put them all together for a first time head coach, I think I thought was I, I, I had no trust in that team. And sure enough, I, it was the it was uh, the Matt Breda play that really set this thing off for me. I think it set it off for everybody mm-hmm. too. Yes. So let's talk about that. This game begins with just the ultimate. So Witherspoon again out there making it happen. Sherman kills the Browns first drive. And then on the opening play of the very first play of the game, for San Francisco, Brita makes a touchdown. Very first drive, very first play, seven zip. Talk about that play, Ray. 83-yard r- rushing touchdown. Yeah, and I believe he was clocked in at like 22 or 23 miles per hour, which is the fastest in the NFL, even faster My than, uh, what's his name, Tariq Hill, who's lightning. But uh, but yeah, so uh, that I thought that was amazing. Sherman got his second pick of the season in this game. Bosa was all over Mayfield. I think he was pretty pumped for this game. That but uh, but Matt Breida setting it off and setting it off with huge that he would account for that was nearly gosh, that eighty three yards accounted for almost uh, more than a third of our of our rushing uh, output for this game. We would end up we would finish the game with two hundred and seventy five yards, so we just demolished the efforts in, in, in any, any previous week up to this point. And sure enough, we just ran rough shot against Cleveland. Cleveland just had no answer for the running game at all. It's like, it's like they, it's almost like they didn't trust it. They're like, ah, this is going to be fine. I mean, Jimmy threw sub 200 in this one, no picks, but he did through, through touchdowns in the air. So he was, he was errorless in this contest and he kept, he did his did his part on the offense through the air, but this game was really about the rushing game, and 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 it's definitely started and ended with Matt Breda. Matt Breda destroyed Cleveland in that opening drive. Yeah, he had 11 attempts, a total of 114 yards, one touchdown, and of course his longest being that 83 yard opening run. Baker Mayfield, we were talking about quarterbacks, so yeah. Uh, Jimmy G, 20 of uh, 20 for 20, 20 of 29, 181 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. His is uh, his longest was 22, averaging 10 yards a pass. All all decent numbers concerning how big the running game was here. And you're going to have games like this. It doesn't matter which quarterback you are. You have games like this. Baker Mayfield, on the other hand. Oh, boy. Let's talk about this, especially because he uh, famously before this game, it said, oh, I've played Bosa before. 
and acted as though you know he uh, really wasn't he really wasn't concerned about Bosa. He was eight of twenty two, only a hundred yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, sacked four. That's times. That's where we were at. Sacked four times. Bosa. Let's go back to our boy Bosa here. He also fumbled twice. He had four turnovers credited to his name alone. He did recover one of those fumbles but lost the other. So he had a total of four turnovers. Three of them he he lost. My goodness. Nick Bosa, Ray. Two sacks, four tackles, two TFLs. And a Five quarterback hits. (laughs) Yep, and a forced fumble. And five quarterback hits. Five. He He just murdered him murdered him it was fantastic it was fantastic so let's uh let's go through another couple a couple other big moments buckner also with the huge sack he he gets this pretty early on brita has a great catch they score again they're 14-0 buckner comes in with another sack he he sack on the next drive bosa recovers the fumble ghoul misses a field goal let's talk about ghoul for a minute if I remember correctly, we had issues with our long snapper, and it, man, Ghoul missed so many field goals because of this long snapper in the very first first in this first half of the season. Do you remember this? He missed like five, like five, I think five field goals. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong, but yeah, apparently it made a huge deal, and people don't realize how important the long snapper position is for the kicker. But it it certainly affected Robbie Gold, who's normally nails for the most part. He was certainly nails for us the previous season but he definitely was off the mark in this season and some people were thinking it was a combination of the fact that he held out for more money and missed a lot of training early on in the off season but then you compound that with the fact that the long snapper was gone because our long snapper was serving a four-game suspension at the time so we had a fill-in come in and or was it four or six games I can't remember either way he was gone he was not in this game either and sure enough, you know, that ended up impacting Robbie Gold's effectiveness in the first half of the season. However, with, you know, we've got, what, three three blowouts through the first four weeks. So obviously Robbie wasn't needed too much in, in that effort as far as field goals are concerned, although we did need him against Pittsburgh. But the... Uh, the that, that was annoying to watch because it was almost like, gosh, like he almost... The... The uninformed fan will immediately look to the holdout, but when you look closer to some of the more nuances of football, because it's a very complex sport, you do realize that a lot of that, a lot of those miscues in the early half of the season were attributed to the fact that he didn't have the same snapper, and that snap does affect the holder, who is Mitch Mitch Wisnowski, and which then affects Robbie Gold's ability to get to kick the ball in the proper location because you don't get if you don't snap the ball correctly, it's more time. It's it's like tenths of a second for Mitch Wisnowski to get the ball in the right position, and if that's off by inches, the game of inches will be affected. You know that's not just a clever, you know, uh, phrasing for how to describe the game of football. The game of football is very much a game of inches and that those inches matter to a kicker very much so, just like it does to any other position player. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, also, another another thing worthy of note in the third quarter, George Kittle finally makes a touchdown that isn't called back. Finally. Finally gets his much-coveted uh, first touchdown of the season in the third quarter. And at that point, it is 28-3, and this game is basically 
a wrap. This is a wrap. You know, th- this game, uh, the, I thought the game was over at halftime when it was 21-3. I thought it was done then. I said, this is done. They're done. This is, this is, this, and I'll tell you what, this is what I think the inception moment is. Why don't you tell me? The, this is the inception moment here where this is where we delivered to everyone the inception moment that Cleveland was not going to be very good this year. They, no, they weren't. And, you know, that would be a, a month later, Banker Mayfield would look like a hobo with a mustache and a long trench coat talking about the loss to the Broncos in November. You know, this would be this would be the the beginning of a very difficult month for Baker Mayfield, and he would just get more disheveled in the post game press conferences as the weeks <laughs> went on. And and to me, I believe it started with this game because I think they had a lot of confidence coming into this game. They were really looking to get over five hundred. You're you're sitting in a in a decent position at two and two, but getting there's a big difference between a team success in a position like this, whether and and the difference is whether you go there's a difference between a team that ends up going three and two versus two and three that changes the, the percentage values on a team's success on whether they, they can get into the tournament or not. I mean, that's a huge, huge difference. There's a huge drop off in the team that falls below 500 early in the season, like, like uh, the Browns did. And, you know, sure enough, that would end up being, they, I think they would go on to they would go on to win four. They would go on to be four and seven at the remainder of the season. So obviously, very difficult season for them, and they would once again put themselves in a decent position to get some decent picks, as the Browns do every year. But they always kind of screw that part up too. The only thing I would say uh, in recent years, I'd say that they they hit a home run with the Miles Garrett pick, even though he ended up getting suspended for the uh, for the remainder of the season with the uh, the whole. Uh, what's his fight? Name? With, yeah, the uh, fight with uh, the yeah. Steeler quarterback, Mason just Rudolph. About yeah, him. Mason Rudolph. Yeah, uh, a couple other big things. OBJ. They they sent. Remember this towards the end of the game. They put OBJ uh, back there to recover the punt. He fumbles, and the Niners recover. I mean, this really be- and at that point it became just all three fronts. We 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 are swarming on you, offensively, defensively, special teams. We're just kicking the shit. Out of Cleveland, another city, a city that I would like. I was just we were talking about this during the Cincinnati game. I would argue Cleveland probably hates us more right now. Would you imagine they probably hate us more just because of the whole Cavaliers, yeah, Warriors oh, rivalry? Yeah. Well, they just hate the Bay Area. They they hate this whole region. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they hate this whole region. Uh, so the other big thing that happened at the end of this game was the infamous Nick Bosa flag swing he did it after his second sack he he mimed it which was copying when baker mayfield had actually done it to him actually did it to him when they were playing in college and then nick bosa takes the 49er flag and he plants it this is something that would come back and be put in our face a little bit later on in the season but what a moment when bosa mimes it and then does it again I, I loved it. I love that moment. What did you think about that moment? I thought it was awesome. I thought it was a great boastful moment and a boastful moment for Bosa. Boastful Bosa. And I like <laughs> I like how in the uh in the NFL replay they I was like, they better not cut this they better not cut this play. You know, they better not cut his taunt from this play. I wanna see this taunt. Uh, I I was gonna actually go back and watch the full game just to see that one part if they were gonna edit it out. But sure enough, they kept it in. So I, that was very pleasing to the eye and ego. 
They absolutely. So at this point, we are now 4-0 for the first time since 1990. And there are we we are officially the last team in the NFC undefeated. Raymond, do you know who was the last team undefeated in the AFC? Do you remember who it was? Uh, the Patriots. Yes. So Jimmy G's old team, the New England Patriots, and his new team, his beloved San Francisco 49ers, are the lone two teams left in the division. And this, this was the game, Raymond, where I famously began our Why Not Us campaign. Let's talk about the Why Not Us campaign. I talked about this. I was saying, you know, the Niners have veteran leadership at every level. At, at, at almost every position, we have somebody that's been to an either a conference championship or has been to a Super Bowl. And I named the players, right? Jimmy G had been to Super Bowls uh, as, a, as the backup quarterback to Tom Brady, right? Tevin Coleman. Had been had has had been to Super Bowls with Shanahan for the Falcons, right? D. Ford conference championships with the Chiefs, right? Staley with the Niners uh, previously under the Harbaugh era. Richard Sherman with the Seahawks, right? At every level, you had guys that had done this. The only place we didn't have it at this point in the season was at wide receiver. But I said, why not us? Why can't we go on a run? Remember this, Raymond? Why not the 49ers? Right, we're looking across the sea. We're we're looking at everyone. We're looking at the way this team is playing. This the way this team is gelling. I'm not saying. I remember this. I remember saying this on the podcast. I'm not saying that we're gonna do it. I'm just saying, why not us? Why not the 49ers? The, the Philadelphia Eagles. They had that the same exact turnaround. Bottom of the league, all the way to the Super Bowl, beating the Patriots in one of the greatest Super Bowls I've ever seen. Why not us? And the why not us campaign really begins right here. So Raymond. Let's move on to now what they were calling the new first real test for the 49ers. Week six. Oh, oh final score, though. Final score, uh, 31-3. Get the F out of here, you douchebag team. All right. <laughs> In your douchebag <laughs> land. <laughs> exactly. Get out of here. All right. This is now what they were calling the real tests for the 49ers. And this really happened. Go back and look at the look at the tapes. Every week they kept going, this is the real test for the 49ers. So we have our first division rival, the NFC champions, the losers of the Super Bowl the previous year, the Los Angeles Rams. We have to go in once again on the road. We're on the road a lot in these first eight weeks. We're on the road to face the LA Rams. I don't know about you, this was a team that I was a little nervous about. I was like, this is the real test, but this is it wasn't so much about nervousness for me. It was about getting revenge. I just wanted to kick this damn team's teeth in. I was sick and tired of them walking around like they were the big dogs in the NFC West. How did you feel going into this game? I thought this was I thought this was going to be a, a true opportunity like to make a statement. I was like, all right, we're four and0. We beat some pretty good teams. We beat Cleveland, who was two and two, but I I was never a believer in Cleveland, so I thought that that was that that the the disparity between our talent level and their talent level was accurate. So I thought that this game against the Rams would be a a, a much I would be a, a bigger test. So I I thought all right, if we win the next game, then I think people will start to take us more seriously, and I think the Niners could really 
put themselves in a really prime position, you know, confidence wise, you know, and, and also within the standings too. So I thought that this was a big game going into this. And I thought if we win this game, this is like a really a, a milestone, a milestone for the team, for the progress up to the, uh, up to this point, going into year three, building, putting all these pieces together and having it, you know, come together so beautifully so far throughout the season. If we could keep the momentum going, then it won't be, it, it'll be less, it will be less flukish to the people who are doubting us right now. Agreed. This was, I felt we had already been, we were, we had been battle tested with Cleveland and Pittsburgh, although they put up very little fight. This, this was, this was, you said it right, the statement game. This was for the NFC West. This, if we could beat these guys, then we were for real. And not just to the, not just the NFC West, but to the entire league. So let's talk about how this game goes down. This game, uh, first of all, let's go through the starters. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk out. Ross Dwelly goes in for his place, and that's the only major change. Emmanuel Mosley getting his second start of the season, and that's pretty much pretty much everyone else stays the same. Uh, am I am I missing anyone there? That's everything I'm seeing there. I think that's right. Yep. So let's get into this. This game, Raymond. When I watch this one back, this is a lot more competitive than I remember it being. I remember it feeling even by even by by basically the third quarter. I remember going like this game is over. But when you really I mean granted the Rams never scored again, but the Rams it really felt like the defense if we weren't kicking their ass with our defensive playing, they were they were shooting themselves in the foot with a lot of offensive penalties. And you can really see the discipline of the 49ers really starting to set in by this time um here here by this game because the Niners are playing really tight football and the Rams are playing us pretty good, but offensively they just could not get anything going. What did you see? I saw a very sloppy Rams team, a team that was really starting to unravel under the, you know, bet the future in the hopes of winning one Super Bowl now philosophy that's going on over there. That's certainly come back to bite them. I'll give them credit in the fact that it did get them to a Super Bowl. But if you don't win that Super Bowl, you're between, you know, a rock and a hard place trying to get back to that. And sure enough, that's where the Rams are now. So it and unfortunately didn't work out. The dice roll didn't work out for them. And they're just struggling to get back into it. And we'll, we'll get to the uh, inception period here. But this game, I thought that this was a pretty, first of all, the fact that they ran like seven or eight straight rushing plays to, in the opening drive to score that touchdown, I thought, whoa. I was like, someone, you know, Sean McVay is good enough. You know, I think I think Sean McVay is a good coach. I think he's got a great mind. He's very creative. Again, I still think he's a derivative of Kyle Shanahan, but I think he's the closest derivative. Meaning, if there's anybody that has decent schemes to kind of be a runner-up to Kyle Shanahan, I think it's Sean McVay, at least within the NFC West, because he always plays us pretty well. But I think that the talent diminishing the way, uh, or not really kind of, kind of unraveling the way it has the past couple years, and a lot of it starts with Todd Gurley. They really just, they kind of gassed him, unfortunately, with the the. Uh, He's got like tendonitis or something that that it's some kind of reoccurring injury. Something that, that they keep that kept lying about for all the way through the Super Bowl. 
Yeah, and it just really it it affected his ability to really stay and be that you know again you to me I think I like the running back committee system over the primary back system you know which is what the Rams run Dallas has that with Ezekiel Elliott I believe uh, Christian McCaffrey is pretty much that same deal in Carolina but that really unless you've got a unique running back that's like going to be an all-time great like a Jerome Bettis or a Barry Sanders or an Emmett Smith or a Walter Payton those guys who ends up lasting 10 years and never seem to you know never had almost never had a shitty season in their t- entire career you're going to run you know you're going to run into a, a a brick wall with these running backs within you know 3 or 4 seasons and yeah. you know, and sure enough, Todd Gurley is is in that category now, and and unfortunately, he just doesn't have the same. Unless he gets back into a committee, unless he gets into a committee format, he's never going to be the same back he was when he first entered the league. He's got that. He's got an injury that just does not serve, uh, does not serve the bell cow position. position well. If you're if yeah. you're in a committee system, you can preserve him. But but not this one. So anyways, but I thought, yeah, the Niners were just in a prime position here. And the first half of this game was super competitive. I thought that we seemed to have have a little bit less of an edge in the first quarter. But then as the game went on, especially in the third and fourth quarter, I thought that the Niners had a decisive schematic advantage, especially when Kyle Shanahan came out with the second half adjustments. Absolutely. Rams came into this uh, came into this week at three and two Vegas odds. Vegas did not believe that the Niners were going to pull this off and they put the Rams at three and a half favorites. So let's talk about this. This uh, this was great. This actually happened in the second quarter. We end the first quarter seven seven Coleman. Tevin Coleman goes in for that diving touchdown, which was bad ass. Do you remember that one? Badass. And then on that second drive, the Niners' defense comes alive and puts pressure on them fast. They have to punt. The Rams have to punt after a Jared Goff sack. They're going to get used to that for the rest of the game. My favorite announcer moment in the second quarter is after Kittle's big run, the announcer goes, Come get a taste right now. I'm George Kittle. <laughs> I just thought that was amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was uh, Mark Schlereth, the. Uh, Oh, was that who said the that? Offensive, former <laughs> offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos when they won the Super Bowls. And and he's a big I'll fan t- of Kyle Shanahan because he obviously was coached by Mike Shanahan and is very familiar with Kyle. And I, I believe they, they have a rapport. So I, there was a little bit of bias going into this game. Not it wasn't an annoying bias, but you can tell that you know Mark Schlereth was having a he just a, he was having a good time calling this game, watching Kyle Shanahan succeed, and then watching one of his favorite players, George Kittle, you know, play out of his mind like he usually does. Yeah, come get a taste right now. I'm George Kittle. That was the best. <laughs> yeah. That's the best. Uh, I'll tell you a funny Mark Schlereth uh, moment. I actually saw him. A friend of mine was doing. They were doing their their graduating improv performance at UCB the the old original studio off of uh Franklin I think is where it is ah, if you're from LA you know and uh Mark Schler's daughter was performing at this thing and he was there with his wife and they were watching her perform and I swear to god it took everything in my power not to go up to him and go hey I just want to tell you I'm a big fan but I just I kept my mouth shut and, you know, I went the, the, the L.A. pro style and I didn't give him a hard time. But I've actually seen him in person. We sat and watched his daughter perform at UCB. That's my, my one Mark Slayer. Nice. All right. So 
Let's talk a little bit real quickly about the discipline of the 49ers because this bears this bears mentioning. So in that very first game, we were 11 penalties, 87 yards. Week two, nine penalties, 75 yards. Week three against Pittsburgh, six penalties, 42 see yards. A pattern now emerging. it's getting cleaned up. Yep. Seven penalties, 55 yards now against Cleveland. And now here in L.A., four penalties, 30 yards. This game... I thought, while not the flashiest of games offensively, was an excellent, excellent marking of the discipline. It, it was, this was what I call the Neo moment. And we've talked about this before on the Goldcast. The Neo moment is that moment in the Matrix when, when, the, when Neo is, a, when the subway is, they're in like that New York subway station, and the subway stops and, Agent Smith comes out of the subway and Neil runs and he sees the staircase and he stops and he turns around and he decides he's going to face Agent Smith. And then it cuts back to to Morpheus and all the crew and they're they're you know they're outside of the matrix they're they're in the Nebuchadnezzar and and then I, I think it's Trinity I think she goes what is he doing? And then Morpheus goes he's beginning to believe. And and that's the moment that's the Neo moment when an athlete or a team they begin to believe. And this game for me is the Neo moment for the 49ers. This is when they begin to believe. You see the discipline. You see them dialed in. You see these guys starting to really understand what's at stake and what they have in front of them. And this is the game that I really believe that the Niners, this was the Neo moment where they're like, wait, we can defeat these guys. We're, at, we're good. We're really good. And, I, and there was just, there was a swagger that started to happen and this game wasn't easy for them. I thought the Rams defensively played really really well. Wade Phillips uh I think is a great defensive coordinator and I thought he did a wonderful job of keeping this uh this Rams team in the game. But but the uh but the 49ers you as you mentioned Raymond, you see the Rams unraveling going back to this uh Let's go back to this. The Rams were eight penalties for 59 yards. So a, uh, a 20-yard difference and double the amount of penalties. That's a big difference, and especially in a game this tight when the game opens at 7-7, this is really where it, um, where it matters. And you already mentioned the second half is where it breaks off. The Niners really win this game in the third quarter, rattling off 10 points. Jimmy G with the one-yard rushing touchdown, which was awesome, and then Robbie Gould with uh, the 25-yard field goal. Robbie Gould uh, struggling to kind of get going in this game, and uh, but but really in the second half they come back. And so let's talk about that. What, what are your thoughts on that second half of the game where you really see the discipline kicking in? Well, I thought that the Rams kind of, based on what you had seen, you know, their, their meltdown in the early going of the season, that I felt they – in the end, they had enough scheme and talent to last them one quarter because they would get shut out for three straight after that. Even though it seemed like at moments they were putting up a fight and getting some drives going, but I mean, even defensively, and they still had Aqib Talib and Marcus Peters at this point. Keep that in mind. the the only the only consist the only constant on that team that you know was was worth his salary is uh, was um, or still is. Um, what's his name? Why is his name escaping me all of a sudden? The uh, the defensive uh, player. 
Uh, who, 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 who are you talking about? Huh? Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. Uh, Aaron, oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Donald's the only one worth his salary at, on the team at this point. In fact, he's the only the, the Niners gave up two sacks in this game. Both of them were the Aaron Donald. One was in the opening series drive, and I forget when the second one was because who cares. But in, in the second half, <laughs> you know, uh, the defense really came out. They had the, the defensive stand in late in the, in the first half. To, to keep the game tied before going into halftime. And then you had, I think, like two more, two or three more uh, turnover on downs by the Rams. And I think the last one was desperation mm. because they had already, they, they, the game was out of reach and they were just trying to go for big plays, you know, Hail, Hail Mary like plays to just get the ball downfield. And it couldn't, and Jimmy Ward even denied them on a third and fourth down conversion on one of those turnover on downs Jimmy Ward was excellent in this game and while you said that you know that Neo moment where you know he's beginning to believe I think Sean McVay had a similar Neo moment but it was the opposite where he was beginning to realize how much his team sucks and (laughs) sure sure, you know he's beginning to believe his team sucks you know where and sure enough you know so when he turns agent smith sticks a, a knife through his throat yeah. and that's the end of the yeah, that's then the it, end of the moment then, for him. Then, you know, the one dies and then they have to go through the whole historical cycle again uh, you know and sure enough they would trade marcus peters and akib talib a few weeks later or well, i think it was like two weeks later something like that and marcus peters would go on to become an all pro starting cornerback for the ravens and talib i don't know where talib ended up but i don't, I don't think he went to the Pro Bowl, but you know Peters was was the big one that was kind of a big fu in his face. I mean, I don't, I don't, I just don't think he was thriving in that system when he went to the Ravens. I think he got rejuvenated and just he had two pick sixes uh, once he got over there, and I think he had like three overall. But he had a terrific season. That's a really, that. yeah, but that's but yeah, that's a, that, Sean McVay had a reverse team. Neil moment for sure. He did. Let me ask you this: I want to see if we agree. What is the dagger moment in this game? For you, because I'll tell you what mine is. I don't. I wonder if you're. It's the same. Hmm, that's a good question because we we only scored two touchdowns in this game, and everything else was Robbie Gold. So I think to me, I would say probably the goal line stand by Jimmy Ward uh, to deny the Rams on third and fourth down. Damn it! Damn it, Ray, you're good. That is exactly the dagger moment in this game. That is exactly the dagger moment happened at the goal line stand in the second quarter. Robert Sala going crazy, screaming, jumping out, jumping off, uh, jumping on the sidelines. That was the goal line. The game was won on that. That was that was the that was the what I like to call when a when a when a major tackle happens, when some big moment happens. I like to call sit down, little boy, like the biggest sit down, little boy moment. And that was a sit down, little boy moment. Where we looked at the Rams, we were like, sit down, little boy. That was the moment for us. Yeah, I agree. Uh, we win this game, Raymond. Rams have lost three in a row. We're number one in the NFC West, and we win 20-7. to seven. The, 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 uh, the Rams only scored one time in the first quarter. Let's move on to the next game. This game... We don't have to spend too much time on it. I think it's probably the most boring yes. game. <laughs> the most uneventful game of the season for the Niners. <laughs> the most uneventful game of the season. Uh, if you want to talk about that, discipline, that wasn't though, a only... loss. That wasn't a loss. There's a little caveat. That wasn't a loss. 
Yeah, exactly. This uh, this game we only had two penalties for twenty yards. Pretty good. Uh, you want to talk about discipline, getting more discipline. But this game was ugly. This was, of course, our Week Seven matchup in Washington against Kyle Shanahan's old team. The Wa- Washington professional football team was one and five. The Vegas odds had us at minus ten. We would win this game by nine points. This was supposed to be the revenge game for Kyle Shanahan. And uh, when we did, but trap came, we almost fell to. That was, uh, again, the, the, the ghost of the trap game came, came with its hand trying to reach out and take us it away. Did. And, and it brought Mother Nature with, her, with him, too. <laughs> we, we, really, we really struggled this year in rainy games. Let's just be honest here. That was that was that's for real. We did, but oh, I mean, was... to be fair, most teams do. It it, yeah. it this especially this type of game. So the Ravens game, I I felt that there was a the there was there was higher stakes, so you had to take more risks, and it, and it was there was less rain in that game. But this game was so rainy that Kyle Shanahan even admitted this in the press game press game uh, post game press conference that when a game gets when the weather elements become that strong and that to that degree i mean it was 55 degrees the the wind was 12 degrees but there was it was raining like crazy but at the same time basically your playbook goes out the window it goes completely out the window uh when, when it's that bad and and when when players jerseys are filled with mud and they're drenched in rain and and muddy wa- muddy fields then your playbook goes out the window, and that wasn't the case with the Ravens game. But at moments, it certainly looked like it was going to head in that direction. But but the Washington game was like this from kickoff until you know the until the final the final gun sound. Absolutely, let's talk about some changes. The offense stays the same from the week before. Ross Dwelly still in place for Kyle Yuschek. The big change here, though, is. Solomon Thomas getting a start at and at D line, and then our boy, our boy who would come up big later in the season, Dre Greenlaw getting a start at linebacker. These are the two big changes. Emmanuel Mosley, third game, staying in a row. Uh, overall, I would say this was a pretty sloppy game, uneventful game, but. The most important thing, players were slipping and sliding all over the place. I would say probably the most memorable part is Bosa with that final sack on the final drive, sliding across the uh, across the field. That became a clip that you saw over and over for the rest of the season, all over the place. You would see that in the highlight reel, Bosa sliding and the the Niner team sliding across the field. Um, any th- any any anything worthy of note you want to talk about? I, I mean, there's really not a whole lot here. Washington was a joke. They were one and five, and we handled them uh, pretty soundly at nine and zero. Uh, we got we got our one Jimmy G interception, uh, but of course, you know they made Case Keenum's day a living hell. Uh, anything anything you want to add before maybe we move on to the next game? This game is not a whole lot happening. There now. isn't. I thought AP started strong. And it's funny, if you watch the opening drive, even though the weather played a big factor into this, if you watch the opening drive by Washington, they almost were mirroring exactly what the Rams did. They just gave the, they fed the ball to AP, I think for, gosh, what it seemed like almost like seven or eight plays straight. It didn't amount to a score, but it certainly, you know, was, 
I think this was this was the thing that I I think we talked about too. Is I said I said watch other teams try to duplicate this opening drive that the Rams did on us with with this straight running plays because they've exposed the weakness and now other teams are going to start to copycat that. And we would see that when you say the that was the, the inception inception moment for us. That was the inception moment for us was that we were going to have a little bit of trouble against the run. Yeah, rea- realizing not- that there was a weakness there that got exposed. We got exposed pretty hard, and sure enough, you know, you expect that out of division opponents. You know, it's it always takes a division opponent to kind of make you keep you honest, keep you humble. And sure enough, the the Rams did that in that opening drive, even though that was the last time they would score or, you know, do that much damage on the ground. After that, they would would really tighten things up. But sure enough, AP had some really big runs in that opening drive too. And they were, I'm pretty sure that that would have happened even if it wasn't raining because it seemed like, it just seemed too coincidental. I was like, they're not even attempting to throw the ball. They're they're just run 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 run. I was like, this is exactly what the Rams did to us. I was like, so I I think that's that's where that influence was coming from more so than the weather playing into the element. Although that would obviously factor into it as the game went on. But yeah, that was about it for me. I thought it was an ugly game. Even the refs were not in position at one play and to whistle a play dead. And that was towards the towards the end of the game when the Niners fumbled the ball on that same play. But they had already whistled the play dead, so Washington didn't get that break. We would go on to. I think we'd go on to score two more field goals because we just had the one field goal at that point. Or I, we might have had two. I could be wrong. But the Washington was still in it. Had they got the ball at that point and got down at least for a field goal, they would have been in it. But sure enough, that led to us keeping the drive alive and getting another field goal out of it. And yeah, and the, both teams were scoreless in the first half. This was just an ugly game. I remember I was, uh, I was like, uh, I missed, I think, the opening quarter in real time because I was with a friend and then we ended up going to a brunch spot in the city and you know the game was so uneventful I you know we ordered mimosas and pancakes and that was more enjoyable than the game was yeah this is definitely the least uneventful the one great thing I would say uh going back to this defense Nick Bosa leading the team in tackles uh was pretty awesome that was yeah that, he yeah did he did great, great. He had the closeout sack. That was the, the best part of the game was the closeout sack and the yep, mud slide. Absolutely. All right, let's move on, Raymond. Week eight and the final game of our first half of the gold dive 49ers 2019 season. So, Raymond, they were saying that this game was going to be the first real test for the 49ers. Yeah. This was the one. The four and two Week Panthers eight versus- coming in. Kyle, uh, Cam Newton g- hits the bench, and Kyle Allen riding a four a four game win streak undefeated up to this point. Yes, four and zero. Oh, he had gone undefeated. The first real test right here. Uh, Vegas had the Niners still still having the faith, starting to get more faithful. Uh, they had us at five and a half point favorites. Finally, back home again. And we're rocking the '94 white unis, and I like that the 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 red's a little brighter. Did you notice that the red's a little brighter on this one? I thought that uni was so clean. Yeah, that was the best, especially as the season went on. In this game, I felt like as the season went on and we started wearing those uniforms more, the players started to more more players started to match the outfit with white cleats. Whereas in this game, there was quite a few players still wearing black cleats. And I think that the the uniform looks way cleaner when you have the white cleats uh, also, you know, to to couple on with the with the the mostly white uniform. 
but yeah, and and this was a game that I was in attendance. I was uh, physically there. You were there. Let's talk about that, Raymond. So you're there. Tell us the experience of being there at Levi Stadium watching this game in person. Well, we went to go tailgate with the family. It was in celebration of Cousin Brian's birthday uh, on that weekend, and he wanted to go to the 49ers game. He didn't know that we were going to be there, so it was a surprise for him. We tailgated. We ate awesome food and had some great drinks and we got a couple of uh george kittle bobbleheads one for you and one for uh one for dad yes and uh and yeah this game from beginning to end i i'm surprised i didn't lose my voice with how much i was yelling and slapping five with all of the fans we were on one of the end zone sides in the third level still a great vantage point uh for the most part you can see both ends of the field and you can see all the action happening and of course when it gets when it comes down to your side you can see it really well but uh, overall, just uh, impressive stadium, impressive game, really fun to be there, especially for what ended up being the amazing historic 50-burger game uh, against a Carolina team that really was never in it. I remember some of the annoying things going into the game was Eric Reed tried to you know, give an interview with the press alluding to the fact that you know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch did Navarro Bowman dirty when really they didn't. It was just business as usual. And he just remember said like, I, I don't forget. I don't forget things like that. Well, you know what we do forget? We forget shitty plays, uh, shitty plays. And, and sure enough, he had a shitty game, uh, that game for uh, for Eric Reed. So I was very pleased with that. And, uh, and he doesn't even play for Carolina anymore. Nope. This also, Raymond, this was the big turning point. I mentioned this earlier during the Why Not Us campaign. I mentioned in during the Why Not Us campaign that the only position that lacked conference or Super Bowl experience was at wide receiver. And I can tell that Kyle Shanahan obviously, clearly, must listen to the Goldcast. He's probably listening to us right now as we speak. He heard that episode back in week four and said, Rudy Solis III is right him and uh, his co-host, his brother, Ray Solis One, they are right because I should go out and find that wide receiver. And he did when they made the big trade for Emmanuel Sanders from Denver, from the Denver Broncos. And this was going to be his first start of the season. He comes in, our starting lineup, Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Samuels, starting this game off. Emmanuel Mosley still hitting it off in in defense. Jimmy Ward also in the lineup for this game as well. They called him they called him Mr. Glass. But now he has a chance to become the Iron Man as Raymond said. He wanted to see can he break that glass. So obviously two major pieces coming into the fold in this game Raymond. How excited were you for Emmanuel Sanders? I was like please just be good. Just be good. I was like, I hadn't really watched him this year, so I wasn't really sure. But I knew he was putting up decent fantasy numbers, which if you're putting up decent fantasy numbers, you're generally doing well as an offensive player. And uh, but uh, I was I wanted I was excited and I thought there was a high potential. But of course, you just never know with these things, you know. Yeah, you don't. But I mean, I, I thought like, all right, he's a little bit older and he was putting up good numbers. I thought I thought the potential was pretty high because he was putting up good numbers on a team with a shitty quarterback and a shitty offensive system. So I thought him coming here, you know, that's 
that's got to speak volumes to what he can potentially do here, which he would obviously go on to do really good things for this team. It's unfortunate that he's not with us no longer. And then he's with a rival that we'll get into in the next episode. But what what I was excited for was because I thought that the ceiling was much higher for him here than it was where he where he in, in Denver. But and that was and that was basically predicated on the fact that Denver was struggling really bad at that point. Denver would pick up some of the slack in the latter half of the season, but Vic Fangio just really struggled in his first year as a head coach. That was very obvious. And but at the same time, he was Emmanuel Sanders was their best offensive player on the team, and 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 I think Dad had him on his fantasy team. Somebody had him on the fantasy team, and you know he's actually doing decent. So it's like might have been Brian actually might have been who who's who you were there for his birthday. I think he did have him. Yeah, and so and sure enough, I mean that that uh that ended up. Um, paying dividends for us uh, on the road to a Super Bowl appearance. But yeah, I was excited for this. But uh, even though, you know, I wasn't expecting soup, I wasn't expecting a whole lot from him because it was the first game in a short week turnaround for him in order to get acclimated with the offense. You know, it was still nice to see him get involved, especially in the opening drive. But sure enough, this game was really, in my mind, anyways, I don't know if you feel the same way. This mind was all, this game was all about Tevin Coleman. Oh, yeah. Not only was it all about Tevin Coleman, if the Rams game was the statement game to the NFC West, this was this was the statement game to the NFL. This was the statement game to the whole league. This is week eight, midway through the season. The 49ers are here, and we are not playing around, and we are for real. We are super for real. After I saw this game, that's how I felt. I was like, this game, this team is for real. This is no joke. This is not a drill. Now, Everyone's talking about and knowing that this second half of the season is coming and we have the gauntlet on the way sitting in the horizon. But this was the game that was like, we are here to kick your ass and you are not going to have a good day playing us. The uh, Tevin Coleman is absolute destruction in this game. The defense is absolute destruction in this game. We are firing off on all cylinders. Unstoppable unstoppable in this game it was you know uh emmanuel sanders he gets that first touchdown tevin coleman rattles off four touchdowns debo samuels rushes in and gets a touchdown everyone got a little pieces raheem mostert gets in there once again this team really this is the statement as i said not just to the nfc west to the entire NFL that they have been put on notice. We are now 7-0, and baby, and it is no joke. Talk a little bit about that, Ray. Talk about the overall dominance of this game with this team. This was uh, this was dominated on both sides of the, of, the, of the field. I mean, Nick Bosa had that. He had three sacks, had the huge pick that almost got returned for a touchdown. T.J. Jones had a sack. Armstead had two sacks. Blair had a sack. Sherman had a pick. Uh, 232 rushing yards on the ground from the Niners. I know Christian McCaffrey ended up having a decent game for you in fantasy. And this was uh, the beginning of the end for Kyle Allen, Allen, who ended up having his, uh, to me, I feel like the inception moment for Carolina was really revolved around Kyle Allen. Yeah, that was the inception moment for them. That uh, it was not, Kyle Allen was not going to be the guy. So he goes in 4-0, Raymond. Let the audience know, what was his record after this? 1-9. and Ooh! So th- this would be oh. this would be the beginning of the end for Kyle Allen's confidence, who would eventually go one and nine, you know, in, in route to pave the way for one Teddy Bridgewater. 
and yep, and by, okay. and minus a Cam Newton. So Carolina is basically saying, Kyle Allen, you're going to ride the bench. Cam Newton, we're done with you. Titty Bridgewater, welcome home. <laughs> so I got I got to drop some crazy stats on you. This is insane. The the in the third quarter, the Panthers finally score a touchdown. But the Niners had not allowed a touchdown in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It was the the it was the McCaffrey touchdown, right? Because it was thirteen twenty seven at that point. And and McCaffrey on the sideline, he's like, Let's go, let's go. He was pumped because you're only you're a little you're you're two possessions into this game. So they were still in it at that point, at least from from his mindset, you could tell, and pr- perhaps some people on the team, but that got shut down real quick. Yeah, it was like 10-21 or something like that when he first, when he hits that one. Oh, it's 27-13. It's 27-13 when he hits that one. But Raymond, did you know that the Niners had, it, it, there were nine quarters of football between the Rams touchdown and the McCaffrey touchdown? And those nine quarters, not a single touchdown was scored by any team. Wow. That is insane. Nine straight quarters. Nine straight t- shutout quarters. No touchdowns for nine straight quarters. From from the from the from the Rams opening first quarter to this one. We went nine straight in between those two touchdowns. Nine quarters. Wow. That that's an insane stat. That is crazy. That's two games. That's like back to back shutouts. Mm-hmm. Basically. Basically. The uh Debo with another one of his reverse sweeps, which we saw pretty early on in the season. I forgot to talk about that. That happened a little bit earlier. But another one of his classic, you know, those jet sweeps you like, those reverses. He was just so unstoppable. I wrote in my notes, uh, Debo scores to add more sauce on this spicy burrito. 34-13 Niners. (laughs) That's great. Uh, I loved the, the, the best Bosa moment in this one. You already mentioned it is without doubt that interception. How does he make that interception? He's like right there. You never see that interception from that close. That was insane. He had three sacks and an interception on the day at that point. Just incredible and absolutely uh, the backbreaker. What would you say? Is that the dagger? Where's the dagger for you in this game? It feels like this is a game of 100 daggers. There's Yeah, there's about eight daggers in this game. But I would say, gosh... I would think, I like to think that after the Christian McCaffrey score, where he still thinks he's in the game and he's hyped on the sideline, I really like the Debo Samuel 20-yard rushing score that just goes in your face like, hey, that was a great play, McCaffrey, because you're a tremendous player, but you're playing a team that is way beyond you guys. And that's when it's like, all right, 13-27, no problem. We'll go 34. We'll go 34-13. You're, you're out of this. There's just nothing you can do about this. I'd say that. That on the offensive side, and then defense, it has to be the Nick Bosa pick. Yeah, I agree with those. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mostert puts the finishing touches on this game with a touchdown on the ensuing drive, 51-13. And this is my favorite line. I have no idea who was announcing this game. Maybe you do. But (laughs) because we're watching the condensed version with just all the big moments, sometimes you just hear a response and you have no idea why they're even saying it. But the announcer goes, you know what I was doing in 1990? And the other announcer goes, what? He goes, dispensing justice in the NFL. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I have no idea who was calling this game. But uh, that's what was said. 
Uh, you know what I was doing in 1990? Dispensing justice in the NFL. I was like, wow, what were you, who, 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 who you Judge Dredd? What, what's, I don't know. We're going to have to look that up. Maybe someone from the Goldcast Empire knows who, who said that. Yeah, because uh, I don't see it in line. the uh, pro football reference notes. No, I don't see. I, I don't, do they normally have the? Uh, they have a lot the, of stats. Uh, but those are like the two stats they don't have. Is who the play-by-play announcers were? You can usually find that on like Wikipedia. What we'll to look that up? What we'll to look that up? But overall, oh a wait, wonderful I think start. you know what? I think this is Mark Slareth again. Are you serious? is he in both these games? Is he called? No, no. That sounds like something Mark Slareth would say. I mean, it really does. And he was an offensive know. lineman, so he's a bruiser. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's Mark Slareth. We're going to have to look this up. Someone from the Goldcast Nation let us know. But, Raymond, this concludes the first half of our gold dive. Niners win this game 51-13, sitting atop the NFC West in first place. And I believe they're, they're, they're atop the entire NFC. They're number one in the whole NFC at this point. 7-0. 7-0, baby. Feels great, baby. Feels great. Uh, Raymond, any final thoughts before we go? This was very exciting. I I enjoyed the ride home from this game. Obviously, this this was my probably the highlight of the season for me, just because I actually got to go to the game and watch it live unfold. And just you know, pretty fortunate to have gone to a game live and just watch a a royal ass whooping midway through the season and the Niners just dominating. Absolutely. This this was the game for me where. I went from why not us to we're for real. This team is for real. And this is this is happening. This is happening in real time. And it was a really exciting, exciting moment. And we knew that lurking just around the corner was the second half of the season, which some are calling one of the second – the, some have said statistically it's the hardest – second half of a season any team has ever played in the Super Bowl era. That's how that is coming up. Uh, And, of course, we all know that Seahawks are around the corner. And, of course, the gauntlet. Oh, the gauntlet. The famous gauntlet. It was around the corner. And we're going to talk about that on the next Gold Dive. We're going to be back a little bit later in this week. And we are going to do... The NFL has just released their all-decade team for the NFL. And, uh, you know, famously, several players, are not 49ers players are on it. We are going to do our all-decade 49ers team. So this is going to be what players make the all-decade team from the entire era, from the last 10 years of the 49ers. The NFL did theirs. We're doing ours for just the 49ers. That's coming up in just a couple days here. So stay tuned. And then next week, we'll be back with our second half of the Gold Dive, which we will go through weeks 9 through 17. Of course, the Seahawks, the two games with the Seahawks, the rest of our Cardinals games, and the gauntlet. My favorite part is the gauntlet. I cannot wait to go through those games. That was uh, that was insane. So 
Here we go, folks. Let us know at youtube.com slash the goldcast what you think. What are your favorite moments from the first eight weeks? What are the what were the turning points for you? What are the inception moments? The moments where we casted doubt in the other teams? What were the dagger plays for you? Let us know. Go to youtube.com slash the goldcast and let us know in the comments. That's pretty much where most people like to talk to us. But of course, you can find us on Twitter and uh, Twitter and Facebook, Facebook.com slash the goldcast, Twitter at the underscore goldcast. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Suisse III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Suisse I, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time, same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.